excited for us tonight to be together um, and dive deeper into the conversation of the Holy Spirit. Um, can I quickly see who's been here both the other times I've shared about this? Can I quickly see a raise of hands? Okay, who's listened to the other ones on podcast if you haven't done that? Okay, praise God. If you, if you haven't listened to, if you haven't been here, try your best to listen to it on podcast so you can stay caught up and what we're going after. Um, we're, we're, we're doing a 12-week series on the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason why we're doing this series is because um, in Afrikaans, you call it voorbranding. In English, it's just called preparation, okay? We've tried to find a different word. There's no word to adequately explain what we mean. But we're doing this series because we're expecting that God wants to do something in our midst. There's something of His Spirit that he wants to reveal, that he wants to pour out to us. And we felt this invitation, right, to come close, right, to learn more, to dig a little bit deeper, to like peek behind the veil, to see what there is more there than just the gifts of the fruit, right? 98% of the times, right, that you have heard teachings on the Holy Spirit has been about three things. Intimacy, ne? the gifts of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit. Right? There's, there's, there's not a lot of other stuff that we get taught usually. And the Bible has a lot to say about the third person of the Trinity. Right? Church history has a lot to say about the third person of the Trinity. And our hearts is to take these next three months and just be like pit bulls and take a bite and not let go. Right? We just don't want to, like, we don't want clean hoppies. Okay? We want to stuff ourselves with every millimeter we can get um, of this beautiful and glorious revelation of who Holy Spirit is. So tonight, what I want to do is I'm going to take like a minute to recap the last two weeks. And then tonight and next week, I'm probably going to do in two different sections. I realize it just will take way too much to do everything in one stint. But I'm going to take tonight and next week to talk kind of about like the 11-ish ways that the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit, right? So there's like 11 metaphors that is used when it speaks about the Holy Spirit. And I want to kind of like, tonight I'll talk about five, and then next week I'll talk about the, the other six. And we need to understand that there's something about this that reveals the complexity of who God is, right? So the first week we spoke about, just some, simply put, do we see the Holy Spirit as God? That is not like Father, Son, and goosebumps and worship, right? It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that when we look at the ancient creeds of the church, that's what the church has always believed for the last 2,000 years. It talks about, I believe in God the Father, and then it says the Almighty, the Creator, and then it says all the things that we believe about the Father. And it says, I believe in the Son, right? And then what He did on the cross and everything we believe about the Son. Then it makes a statement about Holy Spirit. He says, I believe, this is the statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life. So the agreed upon belief of all of church history, if you call yourself Christian, you believe that. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. You're a heretic, right? Like there's no, you're, all Christians believe that. Is that he's two things. He is Lord, which means he is the king of everything, and he gives life. Right? And it's important that we understand that every other category that we have has to fit in those two things. That he is the king that needs to be obeyed, and in obedience we find life. 
right? That is the promise that he gives is if you yield, surrender, give everything to me, in me you will find life, right? You don't, you don't find despair, you find life, right? And we need to understand that every other Lord you submit under leads to death, right? So it's simple. James talks about sin coming as a seed, and if it matures, it leads to death, right? The Holy Spirit comes, and when you make Him Lord, following His life leads to eternal life, right? Life forevermore, life that swallows up death, life that death will never touch us again. So we need to understand that that is the Spirit that we call King, that we call Lord, call Lord, that is a part of this Trinitarian relationship that was week one, okay? Week two was last week, and we spoke about, it was just after Pentecost, and we just went like, hey, let's just quickly go through what happened on Pentecost. And we spoke through when sin entered into the world, three things happened. Number one, presence got separated. We couldn't get close to God because of sin. God is holy. We're not holy and unholy. Don't mix, okay? So presence was separated, right? The second thing that happened is our understanding, the knowledge of good and evil crept in. So we didn't have an understanding based on God's truth of what is reality. We only knew through sin unreality, right? Unreality is a different word for revelation that leads to death. It's called sin, okay? So now we don't have presence. We don't know what is right and wrong. And even if we would know what's right and wrong, right, we cannot do the right thing even though we want to do it. Right? So, oh, what a wretched man I am, end of um, Romans 7. What would happen to this horrible body? And then what does he say? Praise be to God, because in Christ Jesus there's no more condemnation. He says, I'm not a slave to sin, but, I'm a, but now in the Spirit I've been adopted in sonship. Da, 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 da. Right? So what happened in Pentecost? Right? Presence got given back. Right? The temple narrative with the fire. Right? The law got written on our hearts by the Spirit and life got entered in, right? So these things got restored at Pentecost through the work of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a goosebump, right? It was a building shaking, fire howling, like wind coming in and making a people who was once one thing become something else in a moment. Okay, so week one, he's God. Week two is what that God did in Pentecost, fulfilling his promise. Everybody with me? Sure. If you're not with me, listen to the podcast. Okay, now we're going to go to week three. And I'm excited to talk about this because um, I've done in the past, I've done a series, you probably read it somewhere again, where I talked about like our, our identity as Christians. And I spoke about one of, the, one of the funniest things that we sometimes get wrong is we underestimate how beautifully complex God has made us. Right? So we go like, I'm a son. Right? You, you know you get the sonship guys. Do you all know the sonship guys, right? Like, I'm a son. You're the sonship guy, which means like you're always a son and like you cannot tell them anything else because now I'm a son. Don't put that on me, right? There's like a lingo that the sonship guys have, right? And then you have the bridegroom people, right? And they just want to sit at the feet of Jesus, right? That's all that matters. Like stop striving, right? What is, what is this one guy that listens to? He says, don't struggle, snuggle, right? And um, <laughs> it's like the bridegroom, <laughs> right? It's like the bridegroom people, right? Their, their identity, right? The one group says, if you're a Christian, you're a son. The other group says, well, if you're a Christian, you're a bride. The other group says, well, if you're a Christian, you're a temple. The other group says, well, if you're a Christian, you're a vine, you better abide. The other group says, well, if you're a Christian, you need to understand that you're a slave of righteousness. Well, if you're a Christian, right, there's lots of identities. You're a body. Right now, which one are you? You're all of them. And what the Bible does through all of these different explanations, you're called a friend, right? 
all of these different things shows a, a, a different level of complexity. And if you look at all the things the Bible calls you, and you take a step back, it's kind of awe-inspiring how complex God made you. Not one of these identities can fully describe how God made you. He had to create like this beautiful tapestry of pictures. So you can understand, yes, like you might be a bride and a temple and a son and a slave and a friend like and the vine all in the same thing because the one talks about intimate love the other one talks about salvation you did not deserve the other one talks about bearing much fruit the other one talks about presence all of them talk about something else that's inherently how god designed you to function now in the same way there's multiple things that the holy spirit is called because each one of them shows the complexity of how this God has revealed himself throughout the scriptures. And we want to take some time over the next two weeks to look at each one of these things. right? Because it's in looking at these things that my desire is that we will be caught up in wonder and go like, man, I always thought he was just X. But he's Y, Z, B, C, E, F, goodness, Let's just bow down and worship. Right, that, that's the desire. So the first thing we want to look, look at today, and um, you're going to go like, well, I know this. I hope you do. But I want to kind of unpack it a little bit and go through it. The first thing, the first thing, and this is not chronological, but I just feel it's the first thing of importance for me, that the Holy Spirit has revealed us is that He's a person. He's not a goosebump. He's not a whisper at night. He's a real person. John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus speaks about the Spirit. And he says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you. He will, he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for he lives in you and will be with you. Now, help you. He helps you. The world cannot accept him. Neither can they see him. They do not know him. You know him. He lives in you and will be with you. He, 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 he. Person language. It's not forceful language. It's not Star Wars language. It's person language. It's important that we understand that, like, Holy Spirit is person. His name is not the Holy Spirit. It's not the Gabe, right? It is Gabriel. It's my name. There's not a the in front of my name. The Holy Spirit is just how we talk, right? But He is Holy Spirit. That's His name. That's how He has revealed Himself as a person within the Trinity. And if we don't get right that He is a person, what happens is it's very difficult to relate with a force field. You use a force field. You love a person. Okay? We are called to love a person. I want to go through here a few things that it talks about his person, and I've, I've, I've used some of this in, in different sections. But I want, you to sh to, I want you to see, I'm going to go about through 15 quick scriptures here, 
and just I want you to recognize the person language. So it's going to talk now in the, in the context of agency. Do you guys know what? It's the things that he does. A person does things. I'm going to show you here a few things that says, and the spirit does something. Like a forceful doesn't do these things. A person teaches you these things, okay? So listen to this. Second Thessalonians 2.13. Don't read these. There's too many. The Thessalonians' conversion is by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So the t church of Thessaloniki, how do I say that in English? Was it right? Praise God. Right? So the church here, the pers a person came called Holy Spirit, and he came and he did a work called sanctifying. He did a work called, I make you holy. It didn't say a force field came. He said, no, the Spirit came, and He did something in you. Like He climbed in your unholy, unrighteous, prideful, idol factory of a heart, right? John Calvin. And He started like taking out like His cleaning supplies, and He started working out, right, the dirt on the inside. He started sanctifying you. The person of the Spirit took residence on the inside of this church, and he started doing sanctifying work. A person did the work. It wasn't what I said last week. It wasn't like a token of grace. It wasn't like, hey, like, Jackson, here is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. No, no, no. It's, a, it's the Spirit coming again and saying, hey, I'm going to do some sanctifying work. Right? I'm, I'm ready to do some work in you, buddy. Right? And he, he himself comes and does the work. I'm overstating this fact because... Sometimes in our brokenness and in our humanness, we, dis, we, we unpersonalize God. And we feel alone in our in infirmities, in our weakness. And we say, God, will you please come and help me? And sometimes I think if I read the scriptures, God is confused. And he's like, what do you mean I should help you? I'm in you. Like, can you just turn to me? Stop looking for external things. I've given you myself. So the Spirit does the sanctifying work. It says in Romans 5.15 and Romans 15.13 that the Spirit is the church's accompanying joy. So there's a joy that is given. And it's the person of the Spirit is the one that gives joy. So think like you had somebody whose name was Joy. And as you breathe, think about this, right? Let, let me rephrase, reverse, reverse, okay? Not the song, right? <laughs> All you unholy students here, <laughs> right? <laughs> think about this. Think we all came into this room, and I said, you, and you, I said to you, you can't breathe because if you do this, you don't breathe oxygen, you get joy. Right? Because do this, you all feel something, right? But you don't see it. Right? Imagine the thing that you felt was joy and he accompanies you wherever you go. He's our accompanying joy. Like he created it, he designed it, he architected it. There's one day in heaven where God took a pen on a galactic whiteboard. It might be the provision of this new Apple thing. Have you guys seen it? I don't know. Heaven might have stuff like that. 
And God went like, hmm, what makes people relationally connect more than anything? <sighs> Let's think. And he, and he wrote, joy. And he said, I'm going to give my spirit the person, and he's going to bring joy everywhere he goes. That's, that's what the person of the spirit does. He, he gives joy. It's not chuchel. It's not laughing. It is the stuff that keeps us together. It's joy. Our engines function on joy well. If you read anything in psychology and neuroscience, it says that joy is the thing that most positively affects communities of people, is the joy among them. If you want to see if, a healthy, if there's a healthy community, look at how joyful they are. Not happy, joyful. Okay, I'm going to use one more. There's like 37 things. I'll just do one more. Okay, let me use this one. Paul desires, Ephesians 3.16, the Ephesians to be strengthened by means of God's Spirit. So the Spirit, again, the language that used is agency, things He does, but it's things that the human does. He strengthens you. Right, so here the spirit comes and you're tired, right? Before this, I was a little bit tired. I was sitting there literally the whole time I'm telling myself, don't struggle, snuggle. Like just sit and worship. Just don't struggle, Lord. I receive your strengthening love. It was the long day of meetings. I'm, I'm just receiving it right now. Thank you, Jesus. And then I started laughing. I felt way better, right? So, so there's something that the spirit does as a person where he comes and he strengthens us. Right, but you, again, he doesn't come and give you like little like dust of strength. He gives you himself. And when you lead, when you yield to the Lord, he gives you life. He gives you strength. He gives you himself. I want, I want to, I'm going to, I want to hammer this thing that none of us would ever lust after the gift and forget the giver. Right, that we can go like, no, well, this kind of contradiction. If somebody asks you ever again, is it the fruit or the gift? You can go like, well, I can't answer that because the Bible doesn't. It's God. I get both if I get him. So I'm not going to choose a dichotomy. Choose Jesus. Okay, so it's the first point I want to make tonight is that he's a person. And that person does such a wide variety of things because he's always himself. And there's one thing I want to I encourage us is to realize man could not make God not be himself. Sin could not make God not be God, right? The most amazing example of this is Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sins, and God walks into the garden in the cool of the day, and he looks for his friends. And he goes like, Adam, where are you? Do you think the God that knows everything did not know where Adam was? He could literally slap his finger... And Adam would have floated up and came to him. But God's like, okay, my friend is hiding from me. Instead of me using my power to expose all of his brokenness, I'm going to be myself and never become the accuser of the brethren. And I'm going to ask questions because I want to have a relationship, not be right. So sin could not be, make God not be God. right? And a part of the role of the Spirit as a person is to keep us staying ourselves. What does it mean to be like our people? Our people means we never become like sin. doesn't matter what sin does to us. We stay ourselves. Okay? So it's important we understand that when this person of the Spirit takes residence on the inside, 
His role, a part of his role is to transform us into the image of the Son. So it doesn't matter what happens around us, we do not change, circumstances start changing when we come. And if circumstances do not change, we become more gloriously like him because the crushing of that circumstances brings out oil from which other people get blessed. Right? I've had hip surgery, shoulder surgery, nose surgery, four shoulder surgeries, right? And sometimes people tell me, Gabe, but you should have faith that God heal you. I totally have faith that God will heal me, okay? But I also think, right, there is glory to never accuse God, doesn't matter how much pain I'm in. There's glory in that. Right? And, 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 and I might not see it in this age, but there will be a crown at the end of the age for saying, I will not a, a partner with the accuser of the brethren to accuse God because I did not understand. There's something in that that the Spirit, if He is a force field, can bring to you. But if He's a person, He comforts you. He loves you. He walks with you. He brings you joy. He strengthens you. He's a person. Okay? So the next point we want to go after, first is a person, second, and this, I'm going to whiplash you now, so be ready. This is the first thing God has mentioned in the whole scriptures, and it is that he is breath or wind. In Hebrew, the word is ruach, right? And it talks about the spirit hovering over the surface of the deep, right? Now, why is it important we understand God is spirit or breath or wind or ruach? Well, I'm, I'm going to explain something. I'm going to read you three scriptures, and it's pretty cool how the Bible depicts this. When you understand that the writer of um, Genesis wrote into a specific context in a specific time with specific people. So when he says God is Ruach, or God is like wind, he's saying God is like, if you do this, something you cannot see, but you feel it, you live by it, and it moves things around you. So he was using language, he was using picture language to tell you, hey, the Spirit of God, he is invisible, nobody can see him, but everything is sustained by him. Breath, everything is sustained by breath. Think, like, listen to this, right? In Job it says this, it talks about when we die, God will take back his ruach. You understand that God gives ruach? To Muslim extremists, their breath of life that keeps them, he gives it to them. And when they turn and say, Jesus, we hate you, blow up Christians, he doesn't go, I take it back. He says, no, no, no. I, I, I will uphold you still with the hope that you turn back to me. Every unrighteous, every arrogant, every prideful human being is alive today because God did not take back the breath of life that's his. That's why God doesn't kill people. He just takes back the life that he gave. God cannot kill. Kill is only when you take something that's not yours to take. God owns all of life. It's his. It's his property. He can do with it whatever he wants. It's a wild thought to think about it. Because what, what is this saying? It's saying that God keeps things alive, he keeps things that we do not see as Christian, that we do not see as religious enough, that we, like, there is, like, people 
like I love this, David Hamilton says that you need to understand, he talks about God makes grass grow in the psalm somewhere. And there's some like valley in the middle of the Himalayas that no human being has ever been in. And little blades of grass grow there every day. And it does not matter at all, except it brings glory to God. Just think about that. Nobody would ever see the blade of grass. That blade of grass might never lead anybody to Jesus. It has no religious connotation. But God stays himself as the one who gives life. The giver of life. He never changes. And he makes things grow. So all of this grass, he keeps growing. He keeps everything in the palm of his hand. That's a radical thought. If you think that he is breath. He is life. That word breath is not just, that represents the ability to do that. That's the goodness of God. Now listen to this. Ezekiel 37, 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they might live. Now, most theologians, when they explain Acts 2 to, that's Ezekiel 37, verse 9. When they explain Acts 2 to, when it says, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a mighty wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. A lot of theologians say that is the fulfillment of that prophetic word that Ezekiel saw. Is that from the four winds of the earth, a wind came that breathed breath into dead people again. And all of a sudden, thousands get added that had this eternal life in them. Why? Because God is the one that brings life. And through His Spirit again, dead things came alive. Now, I want to ask a question. Who here felt dead before you knew Jesus? Right? It's so weird. And then you get to know Him, and you're like, you get born again, and you're like, what the heck? How do people live like this? Right? The first crazy thing about being saved is realizing I can live like this forever. Are you sure? Does this ever go away? Whoever had that? We were afraid it's going to go away. I had it for years. I was like, please don't let it stop. It feels wonderful. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's so good. It doesn't feel like I'm dying on the inside. Why? Because life entered you. Eternal life entered you. It's important we understand that God is the giver of life. And he doesn't just give life to good things. He gives life to everything. Do you understand what it says about his goodness? It's pretty offensive. Okay, at least it's for me. Number two. This is the one I've talked about a few times, and you guys have heard me talk about it. But it's, when it talks about in the New Testament, it talks that he comes like a dove. And Song of Solomon also talks about He's like a dove. In the Song of Solomon, the idea is that it hides away to be sought out. Right? So it's kind of like these two pictures in Matthew. He talks about like when Jesus is baptized and the dove comes on him. The imagery there is like God descending, God coming upon. Right? In Song of Solomon, when it talks about the dove, it's like God is hiding to be found. It's two very, very interesting and beautiful pictures. Right? And I believe that that's, that's kind of how relationship with a person sometimes works, right? I like, what is that verse that says, it's the glory of God to conceal the matter and it's the glory of kings to search it out. 
Sometimes God doesn't hide something away from you. He hides something for you. Right? So like when there's, when there's things to be found, right? When Anastasia, when she's looking for me, I'm standing in the middle of my daughter. I'm standing in the middle of the living room. And Michelle's like, Voss Papa, where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? And I was like, oh, Vossaka, where am I? And she like runs around frantically. And she gets around like the what do you call it, the, 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 the couch, and she sees me, and she's like, oh, and she runs towards me, right? I'm like, I'm literally not a tiny human being, all right? You can't miss me, all right? But if I would hide a surprise from my wife, it is like code 14 top secret, right? Because she smells things out from like 10 billion miles away, right? So then if I have a surprise for something to win Michelle's heart in a deeper level, Right? I'm building anticipation. I'm leaving little nuggets. Why? Because I value her so much and I'm hiding something from her because I'm wooing her heart. So for a child, you leave something in the middle of a room. Right? When you're intimately equated with the person, you hide it in complexity, not because you want to exclude them, but because you want to woo them. Does that, does that make sense? Right? So when God does that, it's like, like sometimes you have a little bit of a nudge. It's like, oh, I don't know why I should do this. Okay, but let me try. And then there's another nudge. And then like six months down the line, you figure out something. And you're like, good Lord, this is amazing. Like, why didn't I figure this out earlier? And God's like, ta-da. <laughs> right? And, he, and he's been standing like this the whole time. I hope they see me. Like, he's not trying hard. If he doesn't want you to find him, you'll never find him. Okay? It's so important we understand. This God that we serve, what he is like. The next point, and I'm gonna, I want to spend a lot of time on the last two, so I'm kind of going through these quickly. Third point is fire, right? And we, in, in Acts, we see specifically in Acts 2, 3 to 4, it says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. And the thing with fire, John the Baptist says, I come and baptize you in fire, but there's one greater than I will come after me. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And there's, there's, there's a few things that fire does, and I spoke about it last week. I want to just unpack it a little bit more. The first thing that fire does is it purifies, right? There's a purifying work that fire does. Now, a lot of times in charismatic environments, like we pray for the fire of the Holy Spirit, and a lot of times it's kind of like seen as like a thrill encounter, like, woo, like it's like a fire encounter. And I was like, have you ever touched fire? Right? There's nothing comforting about fire unless you're dying of cold. Right? Like what fire does is it purifies, it burns. Right? Fire can only keep living if it consumes things. So when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire... Right? The fire that burns in you is something to consume all of you. And it keeps burning hotter and brighter the more we yield to being consumed. It feeds on consumption. Right? So like if you lose the fire, it's probably because you started to stop yielding somewhere. That burning on the inside, probably if you felt it stop, it's probably because you said, well, there's nothing else for you to burn, Holy Ghost. I'm perfect. But if he's the eternal fire, it says our God is a consuming fire, right? He never stops burning. Why? Because he desires to make us into the image of the Son. 
So the second thing that happens with fire, if you leave something long enough in the fire, it takes on the characteristics of fire. If you leave iron long enough in the fire, it gets glowing hot and red, right? But it never becomes fire. It becomes like fire. Right? What happens if you stay long enough in this life where the Spirit consumes everything of you, you do not become God. You become more and more like God. Right? Your life becomes a burning resemblance of what He is like. Your life becomes something that naturally opposes darkness because you have yielded yourself to the burning of His Spirit. Now, that language can become very strange, but it is a reality that God uses that language for us to understand when you see a fire, oh, that's what He wants to do in me. The moment you stop feeding it, it dies. And how do you feed the fire of the Spirit with yourself? You just give you. Just give yourself. It's like the best fuel for me is you. That's why He wants you. Next point. Does it make sense? Everybody with me? Number four. It's water. That would be five. Number five is water. John 7, 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. But he, sent, he, but he meant this concerning the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit has not been given since Jesus has not yet been glorified. Isn't it interesting that Jesus stood up in front of people and he says, everybody who is thirsty, come to me. I have something for you. Come drink. And then the Scriptures kind of gives a little bit of a, and then Jesus says, the rivers of living water flow from people with me. Da, 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 da. And then the Bible kind of pauses and says, oh, by the way, he was talking about the Holy Spirit who nobody received it, and you'll get the same Spirit. Now I want to ask you, if I'm going to ask you to come to the front, right, take the mic, and go like, hey, I dare you to say, anybody is thirsty, come drink from me. What flows out of your life? I have a, I have a friend. I love this guy so deeply. His name is Jock, Jockrik. He's one of Nehanas. What a guy. I remember, I will never forget this. I was, I, I, it was, man, this was probably 2015 or 16. It was a few years ago. I'm old. And um, I had a hard day. I can't, I can't remember. I, I think legitimately I missed, I missed a quiet time. I preached the previous night. I missed a quiet time. I led something in the morning. And then I had something else in the leadership gathering. And then I had a meeting of Jock. So, like, my soul was like parched, freaking desert land. It was like... I'm going to die. I need God. Help me. Right? And I remember I was sitting in a car driving with Jock. We drove past Bukdorp where that hobble is, where there's that ugly road in the hole, now, uh, the hole in the road now. And I remember it was the strangest sensation. I've never felt this before. It literally felt that I was drinking from this guy. I was sitting in a car with him, and I'm like, bro, like you are like spilling life over me. Who's ever been around somebody and you're like, it feels like your heart is drinking? 
And you're like, what the heck is this? Right? And I know it's weird. Get over it. It's real. Okay? Like there's something on this that like when you're filled with life, it says from your belly. It says belly. It does not say stomach. It says from your belly will flow not drops of living water, rivers. Like the Nile will flow from the inside of you. Right? What is flowing from out, uh, inside of you? Is it like a, a small little tap with, that just drips? Or does it look like, have, who's ever been at the Victoria Waterfall? Has anybody been there? If you stood at that little um, bridge, right? The first time I stood there, I just started crying. I felt God said, you thought the river from my throne is a small little thing. This is a better representation. I started praying, God, like, may the river that flows from in me look like this. Like, what would it look like if it's not like just, oh, I might have enough to just get, give Jackson like a little drop on his tongue. What if like we're so intimate with the spirit of life, right, that what flows from in us like feeds nations? What, is it, what does Revelation say? The trees will grow on its banks, and what would happen? They will bear fruit all year round. What happens if the life that we carry so feeds other people that dullness doesn't get to their hearts? It's important we understand that this spirit of life, the representation of water, is something that God gives to us as a part of His Spirit, but it's something to be shared with other people. Freely you have received, freely give. There's something on this that we can give away. I, I don't know what to make about it. It is weird, but it does work. Okay? Like, there's something about the power of the presence and the Spirit of God that if you're around somebody that honestly walks in it. They don't have to be charismatic. You can catch it. And I've been around people who have never prayed in tongues one second in their life, and you're around them, and it feels like there's electricity around them. It's weird to explain it. Like, I can't, don't know what to do about it, but there's something of you. You carry God. And I think that when it talks about, like, rivers of water flowing, it talks about the spirit of life coming from within you. May let me tell one more story. I had a friend. Um, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, hey, I hate the chlaskas. It's like I need to hear people talking. If it's just quiet around me when I work, I literally get slight anxiety. It's so scary. But um, I felt God said, hey, go, go study there with him. Go sit with him every day. So every day, for probably six months, I sit there and study with him. And then I went overseas and came back two weeks later. And then when we would go out, always like he would smoke a cigarette. I'll just go stand outside. We'll talk about Jesus and whatever else. And um, I came back, and I was literally across from the Bipsgras, and he saw me. He's like, Gabe, Gabe. He literally came and called me. He says, man, where have you been? Like, and I was like, man, like, you're so excited to see me. This, is kind of, this kind of freaks me out a little bit. And he's like, man, can you just please come and work in the Bip again? Like, the, the peace is not there. Like, I'm stressed. Can you come and sit and work with me again? Right? And that's not, not because I'm a good Christian. It's because God leaked out. It's like... The one called the Prince of Peace, he just like, like my buddy there was struggling with anxiety and I'm sitting there and I'm spending time with the Lord and like he, he and, and, and I almost think, and I don't mean this, don't take this out of context now, but I almost think like God couldn't help himself. He's like, let's say it was Vickers, here's Vickers and God's like, oh, he's stressed out, I just want to love on him, right? And so, but then what happens is they recognize like whenever Gabe is there, that thing that's in me is not there anymore. And I can tell you guys, there's something about carrying God as a person and not a goosebump that does things. 
Next one. Last one we'll talk about tonight is oil. 1 John 2.20 says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Luke 4.18-19, now is Jesus speaking, says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's important we understand anointing, right? It's just, it's oil. It's, it's to be smeared, right? And the, the idea of anointing is that it is something that gets put on you to mark you or consecrate you for something. Now, if you're born again in this room, you have been marked and consecrated. Why? Because we're a kingdom of priests, right? The priests always were marked. They were always consecrated. They were always anointed with oil, right? And sometimes we think about anointing and again, we, 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 we jump to extremes with this or we totally ignore it. But the reality is there is something to be said of how God marks us individually to carry a part of who He is. There's some things, right, that Edward can do that I can't because God has anointed him to do certain things. There is a smearing, there is something on him of God that's not on me and I'm not jealous at all. Right? Why? Because God works in us. Now, here's the thing, right? It's also strange that if you're long enough around people, you start catching what people have. Uh, more is caught than taught, right? And if you ask me, Gabe, show that in the New Testament, it will be hard for me to show it to you, but I can show it to you in practice. Can I tell you how I can show it to you in practice? Um, who's ever seen a young lady fall in love like a very, very good girl, fall in love with a really, really bad guy. Who's ever seen that happen? Okay? So who's ever seen how her clothing, her clothing starts looking like his? Who's ever seen that? Right? All of a sudden she dresses like him, she talks like him, right? There's no New Testament explanation of what happens except you just call idolatry, right? She becomes like the thing she worships, right? And so, so it's, it's, it's what happens, right? And so Whenever we worship Jesus, right, together as a body, right, there's a part of the pinky that starts blessing me. And, like, I might be, like, the big toe, and a part of this big toe starts blessing the pinky. And, like, the way that it works together through the Spirit, this anointing, right, starts in unity making a fragrance, an essence, that together does things we cannot do separately. I want to encourage you, right, I promise you, you will be like the five people you spend the most time with. And within our walk with God, it's the same way, right? There's certain things that I never had a grace to do, and I got married to Michelle, and it's strange. I don't know how to explain it. I see things I've never seen before. Like, I experience things I've never experienced before, and I'm like, what the heck happened? And it's because the amount of time I spent with her, it rubs off on me, right? But every now and then, I hear Michelle say something. I was like, you literally sound like me. Right? That is scary, and it's kind of awesome. Right? So, <laughs> but we rub off, and that's kind of like the, the, the goal of anointing is it gets to rub off. You get to have the, f the, the flavor. Jeremy Riddle, I once heard, said, if you want to smell like Jesus, you need to be close to him. Like if the high and anointed one, if you want his fragrance, you need to be close to him. And the more and more you're close to him, the more and more you catch that fragrance. And so tonight, as we think about the Holy Spirit, as we talk about this gift that God gave us, and we think about these six, six things. Number one, 
I need to understand first and foremost that he's a person. A person you can love, a force field or goosebump or whatever you use. Right? There's something about him being a person that we need to be so convinced because it makes our hearts long to love and be loved by him. There's a book called Good Morning Holy Spirit. I'll probably get in trouble for saying it out loud, but it's okay. I don't know how many books in my life has changed my life as much as that book. Right? And I remember like I, 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 read, I read it and I woke up one morning in Madison, Wisconsin. It was like minus 28 degrees outside. <clears throat> I was going to have quiet time. I went to the bathroom. And I'm like in the bathroom. And I heard this guy say, he started saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. And I remember I just said it. And like there was such a sense of nearness, presence, like boom, immediately. And what I felt in my heart was almost like Holy Spirit was like, I've waited for this. It's like he was like, I've waited for you not to treat me like an extension of something you need. And that nearness becomes, it's, becomes intoxicating. Because then like you become offended when people use it like a thing. Because it's a person you love. You're intimate with a person. Right? If, if somebody would use my wife, I'll beat you up. Right? But God is way closer to me than my wife is. Holy Spirit is way closer to me than Michelle. And it's when we understand his personhood that we become righteously zealous for that person you love. Second thing is that we understand is that he is the breath of life. He gives life to everything. The good people and the bad people. He keeps spiders alive. I don't get it. I hate spiders. That ruach, that life keeps everything alive. And he says, hey, that's what I'm like. I am life. I am not death. My likeness is life. Now, if, if you take a week and meditate on God as life, and he sustains all things by the power of his word, Hebrews 1, he upholds it, all of it, boom. It messes you up. Because you realize like the way that I judge, the way God judges, way different from each other. Third thing is, that is the fire who purifies, consumes, loves. The water of life flows from our inner beings. The dove that descends, that hides things for our behalf. This God that we serve is way more majestic than we can dream. And tonight, as I want to end this off here, is my invitation to you is, what would it look like for you if you could honestly say, good morning, Holy Spirit, and it means something? I'm not talking at all, hear my heart. I'm not being condescending. I'm not saying it does not mean something to you. But what I am saying is, what happens if you say, good morning, Holy Spirit, and in you there is a response? It's like when I wake up in the morning, and Anastasia, I go to the room and she wakes up, right? And she goes like, puppies 
that's not that's not Papa. It's like she wants puppies. She wants like cereal, right? But when she sees me, she thinks puppies, okay? <laughs> so then she goes, puppies, right? Do you know what happens, right? I can see in her, she recognizes something about me. But at this age of her life, it's that I give her food. <laughs> and you know what? I'm okay with that. Do you know what? I can't wait for the day where I get to her when she wakes up and she says, Papa, and she has the same excitement, and it's because of who I am to her and not about giving her something. Imagine you say, good morning, Holy Spirit, and his expectation of you is not, I need X, Y, Z. But you can look at him with the excitement of loving his person. The invitation, the season is to fall in love with a person. Guys, I'm expecting in this series we're going to do, I can't, I'm expecting revival to break out in our hearts, honestly. Like, I'm expecting revival to break out in quiet times. I'm expecting rivers to flow, right? I'm expecting fire to fall. I really am. But imagine all of that happens. And we're like, wow, that's cool. That's cool. Push, push past. Puppies? It's like, that's, thank you. I want you. It's not, it's not lesser important. Imagine I give Anastasia a gift and, I, and she goes like, ah, oh, I like you. That is kind, but the gift is because I love you too. It's important that this tension is held. But the invitation is, can we know him for who he is? And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So if you're sitting here and going like, I don't know if I can say it. Do you know what's the good thing? The fact that you can say that, it means the Holy Spirit is knocking. Let's quickly go to Revelation 4, 3, 3, 4. I'm knocking at the door. 4. Great. I had it. Quickly go there. I want you to see something. <laughs> three eight. Okay, quickly go to three eight. Revelation three eight. Mm -mm, it's not. Yes, it's twenty. Praise the Lord. Huh. Donkey, who said twenty? Okay, good job. Bible scholars right here. Okay, I want you, I want you to quickly see what our God is like. Because I feel tonight, if you misunderstand what I'm saying, because the challenge I'm bringing before you is can, can we love him for who he is? And, and what some of you would hear tonight is, I don't. And you'll pull back and go like, I've tried and I don't, my heart is, can't do it. And I want to tell you, you're, you're mishearing what I'm saying. I want you to hear something. Okay. Revelation 3. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness. I'm reading from verse 14. The rule of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Whew. That <laughs> is written in red. That's Jesus speaking right now. Right? That's, uh-oh. I counsel you. Listen to the, like if you hear those, that language, I hear, like you hear a whip. You hear a buck's law. You're about to get a spanking. Right? You don't understand, like there is, there, hear, the, hear the language. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. Listen now. Verse 18. I counsel you. Not I rebuke you. Listen, listen to the tone changing. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put in your eyes so you could see. Whew. Isn't he kind? They're prideful, naked, pitiful. They slander him legitimately because they think they have everything. And he calls out their junk, and then he's like, okay, now that you know you have junk, here's my advice to you. Come to me. Come get from me gold refined by fire. Come get from me clothes so you don't have to be ashamed. Come to me. And he goes on and says, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, to this place here, if you misread this, who's ever read this and you honestly think this is the most intense rebuke you've ever heard from Jesus? Like, I've read this my whole life until about three months ago. And then I preached, preached it in Stellenbosch, and as I prepped it, I felt God said, you've always misread this. This is me being the kindest version of myself. Right? So he calls out all their junk. They're sta they stand there. Think about it. Jesus calls you naked. You're naked. If he calls you blind, you can't see. Right? Like he called, he said mountain and table mountain went like, right? If he calls you something, you are that thing. You cannot argue. You cannot debate. Your opinion does not matter if he calls you something. So he calls them all these intense things. Then he says, I counsel you now. Come buy from me gold refined by fire so that you can become rich. Come buy clothes from me so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Right? And then he says, I'm knocking at the door. Listen. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I come and spank you. If my rebuke from outside the door was not intense enough, wait till I get in. Is, is that what he says? No. What does it say? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He says, if you see you're naked, if you see you're blind, if you say you have nothing to bring to the table, here I'm standing, I'm knocking. If you open up, 
What'll come and do us? I'll prepare a feast so we can eat together. I owe everything. I have gold for you. I have clothes for your shame. And I have a meal so we can have fellowship. And tonight as I talk about knowing the Holy Spirit, He is standing at the door of some of your hearts knocking and some of you are too afraid to open because you're afraid He wants to come in and give you a spanking when He is already on His heart a feast prepared for you. And that feast is called Himself. It's called communion with Him. And this evening, I'm going to ask Cooper, can you, can you jump up? Can, can, can you do heart of worship? I, I, just, I just want us to do OG, we just love you, Jesus. And, and, and I, I just, my invitation to you tonight is, can we set our hearts to love him? If you go like, what does it even mean, Gabe? I, I don't know what it means for you. But do you, do you know what it means for me? God, I want to love you more. I don't know how. I don't know. I do quiet times. I do prayer sets. I lead a mission space. I try to love my wife well. I try to love my friends well. How can I love you better? This is a good question. I don't have an answer yet. But if I, if I would go to every life and go like, just ask him. Be brave enough to say, God, I want to love you more. Show me. What we would look at a thousand people take that serious. Yo. That would be dangerous. What happens if this third person of the Trinity can trust a people with himself that will not prostitute his gifts? That he can trust with all the power, all the healing grace. People getting out of the wheelchairs, blind eyes seeing. It was like we refuse to prostitute, loving you. We won't touch it. This is too precious. We refuse to prostitute power to have an ego flex to tell people how powerful I am. We refuse to touch that. It's, a, it's about you. We want to love you. Tonight, I counsel you. Come to him and buy gold refined by fire.